Good morning and welcome back to Fiction Author Business School. So today and actually next week too, I'm going to be giving you some live coaching sessions. Um, this is a coaching that I did with my friend Mallory who gave me permission to put it on the podcast and it ended up being really, really long. So that's why I'm splitting it into two podcast episodes. I know you guys aren't crazy about the longer episodes. Um, also understand that most of my coaching is not quite this meandering. This was her trying to figure out her book and me trying to structure my coaching calls. And so we were kind of helping each other with that. And I mentioned that at some point that I need a little more structure on my calls, but she helped me with that. Um, but I think it's a really good, even so, example of the kind of coaching I do and how I can help you figure out your story. And it's really fun to hear Mallory have some really big light bulb moments on her story as well. Now, I did originally attempt to go through and um, <laughs> divide it up by what we were talking about because we talk about the end of her story, we talk about figuring out the inciting incident, we talk about a couple of other um, just kind of character related things, but when I, <laughs> this is what I mean when I say I needed a little more structure. When I tried to pick through it and categorize, it just wasn't working. There was too much that was connected and too much that we would go back and forth about things. So I finally decided to just kind of scrap that and I just divided it into part one and part two. So you can hear the conversation and the way it progresses from beginning to end, even if we jump around on the subject matter a little bit. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that Mallory and I are actually in the same critique group. So if you're wondering how I know so much about her characters and about her story, and I'm just pulling things out of thin air, that is because she's working on planning book three during this coaching call. and being in her critique group, I have already read the vast majority of books one and two. So that's why I know a lot about her story and her characters. Um, and you'll also notice that we giggle a lot and that's because we're just, we're buddies and we giggle about stuff. So anyway, all that said, I think that our conversation here gives a lot of great insights into how to plan your characters, how to plan your climactic moment and your ending, as well as your inciting incident. And I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy it. If you haven't listened to part one of the interview, I would recommend going back to last week and listening to that first. And with all of that said, here is part two. Hi there, aspiring fiction author. Welcome to Fiction Author Business School. Do you want to write your stories with ease and confidence? Do you find yourself Googling how to write a fiction book or how to write a character arc? Do you want to create a fiction empire, but you can't even finish the story you're currently working on and you find yourself doubting it will even be good enough? Hi, I'm Liesl. I too have been writing stories since I was just a kid. I wanted to do something about my fiction writing dreams, but got information overload every time I looked for writing help because there's just so much out there on the internet. I wanted confidence that I wouldn't disappoint my readers and a plan to publish regularly. I knew the foundation of any author career, including the marketing aspect, is a stellar and well-written story, but I didn't know how to be sure that my story was solid. I went on a journey to figure out what really makes readers tick and how to incorporate those addictive elements into my story. In this podcast, you'll find specific tactical fiction writing tips, solutions to writing more words more efficiently, and secrets to mastering your author mindset. So put on your fuzzy slippers, grab a notebook and pen and some chocolate, and let's write some fiction. I love getting into a story and realizing, oh, I didn't have this as well thought out as I thought. <laughs> Well, and usually if you're, if you're floundering a little bit, that's usually the case because if mm -hmm. you had it all nailed down, you wouldn't be going, why is this not working? <laughs> right. Right. And so I knew I had your voice in my head saying, it's because you don't have clarity on what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, I know, I know, Liesl, <laughs> help me. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. So um, one thing I am playing with, with that climactic moment, I really like that you said, um, like when Dax is doing all these surgeries and stuff that mm-hmm. I see something because I'm trying to figure out like, what is he going to learn? He has to learn something right. while he's there. That's going to benefit this whole situation later. Otherwise, yay, he led the people to safety and they're fine now. Um, doesn't quite go with everything as well as it could. I mean, it's fine, but it's not yeah. as good as, and as strong as it could be. Um, so because there is that moment in book two where, so when he touches her, she has clarity, even with um, the heart still inside her. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be something like that with the end too. There was like this point where they were fighting and it like created this dome and kind of a shield around them. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Cause I want him to kind of see something in her as well, where he realizes he can manipulate the heart right back and kind of rearrange her cells or whatnot, just by controlling the heart. Um, but I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. Okay. Exactly. So I had an idea and I, I don't want to totally rewrite your story or anything. It's okay. But what I'm if it's like, what if you have something at the beginning? Hmm except he's not going to be there. Okay. Whenever they come together and what about Sean? Can Sean do the same thing or just Dax can do it, right? Just Dax. Yeah. Cause they think Sean is the one who can do this because they extract his parents extracted the hearts, the heart from his cells and he no longer has like anything with it. So basically all he can do is cut off Cameron's connection to the heart, which I will be using in like the experiments and stuff. Wait, Sean can do that or Dax can do that? Sean can do that. So what's the, what's the difference between, what do you mean he can cut off her connection? Like what's the difference between that and what Dax does? So, um, so Sean just basically cuts off all connection whatsoever. And she just feels like kind of a weak little human when, <laughs> when he touches her. And then when it's Dax, she can see both sides. She can see her own thoughts. She can see the heart's thoughts and she can kind of navigate her way through them. Okay. Where none is over it's just all like this intense form of clarity so what if and you you might even have to go back and change something but what if it's more like the heart because you said the heart rails against axe doesn't want him Mm because he can beat it so what if your inciting incident was her working with sean and suddenly having that epiphany that it's not Sean that they need, it's Dax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I was going to say, you could even, if you wanted to go back and I was thinking maybe you could, um, when that moment happens in book two, maybe she pulls back from it for some reason. Like maybe mm-hmm. there's pain involved or something. And she's like, oh, that was not good. But then she realizes at this point that that was the heart giving her pain so that she wouldn't want it. But she kind of comes to realize that Dax is what she needs to beat the heart. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the heart is purposely trying to separate them. That's why it's sending mimics after Dax. That's why it's, um, what else did you say that, that made me think of that? They're, um, be- oh, okay. Because if the heart is trying to separate them, then it could be them trying to get back to each other throughout the whole book. And maybe they do briefly, but whatever pushes them apart again or, or whatever. But, um, 
So I actually have this at the end of book two of um, Intracon, I have this part where it doesn't really have anything to do with power necessarily, but they're just actually physically trying to get to each other. And it's literally across this chasm that, you know, like they're reaching for each other's hands and it's like, oh, you know, they can't quite get there, you know? Yes. And so you could do something like that where she's, I'm thinking of the climactic moment where she's fighting the heart. Maybe she's losing. Um, and he's trying to get to her and the mimics are trying to keep him away and the heart's trying to keep her over there because the heart, I don't know, something about how if if the heart can accomplish this, then maybe Cameron really will be gone or, you know what I mean, it really will either kill mm -hmm. her or fully control her or whatever. And he just has to get to her and touch her to give her the clarity she needs to overcome it or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that could work. Because that, I, I guess the one thing we haven't really talked about is the villain and what the villain's up to. And so we need to know, that's the other thing you probably need to figure out, what specifically is the heart trying to accomplish in this book? Um, so it just wants to claim all living things. So um, I have a parallel between what the heart wants and what Cameron wants. And the heart, I mean, it thinks it wants... Um, community and love and independence, um, which are things, I mean, Cameron wants community and love um, as well. But what the heart really wants is just to control all living things and calls it peace, calls it community, calls it um, strength. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really just control. So why does, why does the heart need Cameron to do that specifically? Because it can, it's not independent. It doesn't have mobility. Okay. Um, so it can't reach everyone. But if it can get control of Cameron, then Cameron can reach everyone. Okay. Where it can't do it on its own. Yeah. So I'm also thinking maybe you need to have some some element where Cameron is becoming like the heart. Like mm. in some way tries to control people, tries to force them to do something is going, no, 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 you don't understand. This is for the good. But then she'll mm -hmm. kind of realize she's doing the same thing. And if she doesn't do that, if she kind of lets people have a little more freedom and uniqueness, that's what will end up making a good difference, you know? Uh-huh. And therefore also proving humanity is not weakness. Mm -hmm. It is strength. Well, you know what, you, you might even want to throw something in there about how control is not strength. Mm. People think it yeah. is, but the heart is so weak, it, it has to control people or it's nothing, you know, mm -hmm. so control is actually weakness, not strength. Yeah. I'm trying to think how you could incorporate that into the climactic moment. like in some way have her show that it is the control that ends up being the heart's downfall or, you know what I mean? That the, the control is the weakness and, but I don't know how you would show that. Maybe because the heart controls the mimics, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So, okay. I'm trying to think <laughs> it's just the yeah. the spark of an idea. Um, but because when the heart is basically contained, 
Cameron in a way, and I haven't really gone into this. I kind of touched on it in book two, but haven't explored it because I haven't needed to yet. But in this book, I'm going to. Um, so Cameron kind of becomes like the pseudo boss because she has so much of the heart's energy running through her that it becomes like everything she touches are what the mimics can become. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of did this in the cave scene in book two, where they were turning into scorpions, turning into cacti, like things like that. Um, and I don't remember where I was going with this, but I had a point. <laughs> oh, so instead of, so with control, you know, if, you know, they find some way to suppress the heart in some way and Cameron is able to like release their control and gives them kind of free will in a way, then they can also kind of find their way out of. What if, what if, yeah, I was just thinking, what if she, because she's taking on attributes of the heart, what if she starts controlling them? realizes she can control them like the heart does and kind of starts doing that because, and for good, you know, to make sure they're not killing her people to, you know what I mean? Doing what needs to be done. But then she realizes if she, like you said, if she sets them free, what if mm -hmm. as soon as she sets them free, they turn back into humans or start. Yes. Their mimicness yes. Sort of goes away. And then they could, they might turn and help her against the heart because they don't, they don't want to be controlled by the heart. Mm -hmm. you know? And so that would, yes. that would go to, the theme that control is not strength you know the control mm -hmm. is the weakness and as soon yeah. as she stopped controlling them they gave her the strength she needed to whatever it is take mm -hmm. the heart or save her people or whatever you know yes 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 I've dabbled in these thoughts and I have like little scenes created here and there and I forgot about that one yes I will incorporate that because that makes a lot of sense <laughs> I feel like the little pieces I have just floating around in the ether are collecting <laughs> in the right ways instead of floating. <laughs> yes, I like this. Yeah. Yeah, I never put that scene and that idea with this control idea, and I love it. And that's, yeah, actually, I've done that before. Sometimes it's good to try and combine ideas because they can start to click together in ways you didn't think of before yeah well and it's so interesting how so many story ideas do work sometimes you just have to think about them differently or combine them with a different thought and suddenly they start to grow mm -hmm. yeah I did that with um time periods when I was writing Kremlins or well when I was coming up I shouldn't say I was writing it I was coming up with the idea <laughs> for Kremlins and I had the basic gist of what the characters would be mm -hmm. like I knew I wanted it to be a multi-generational thing where something happened with the parents and then the main characters were the kids trying to figure out what happened back then and I kept trying to I knew it was going to be in Russia but I, I kept trying to set it in the communist era and I kept mm -hmm. hitting walls. I'd be like, no, that won't work because of this. Okay, okay. Okay, what if I do this? No, no, that's still not working. You know what I mean? And I did that for like two or three days. And then I just like picked the whole thing up and put it back in the time of I've been terrible. And it was perfect. It just like clicked everywhere. And I was like, there it is. <laughs> Why am I Got trying it. to write about communism? I like the medieval period better anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> All right. Well, what else? What else? Anything else you want to work on? Um, 
those are my big things. I mean, I, I really need to come up with that inciting incident. And thank you for the clarity on that because I was really like, how is this different than, um, because in my head, it wasn't any different from, you know, the transition from act one, act two. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I feel like that's too late for the inciting incident to come around. So, right. Well, and sometimes yeah. it helps to look at, what was I thinking was the inciting incident there? Like, because, because there is a big incident from act one to act two. And it's mm -hmm. usually the thing that really knocks them into out of their safe space and into like a quest or a journey or an adventure or whatever the case may be. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not quite the same thing as the inciting incident. So like, yeah. I always think about like Star Wars, A New Hope. The inciting incident isn't even actually with Luke. It's the beginning when the plans for the Death Star, when they're trying to get him and they get into the um, escape pod, but that's going to affect him, even though that's not happening with him. Cause that's what kicks off the story. Right. The whole thing is about trying to find those plans, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the point you're talking about from act one to act two is when his guardians are killed. Cause at that point he, he goes off planet, you know, he completely, right. it turns his world upside down. So I think that we can kind of mix them up sometimes. So like with you, I, you know, whatever the inciting incident ends up being the, um, the jump from act one to act two might be when she actually leaves the facility. If that's only going to be the first third, you know, or, mm -hmm. Um, when just when something because how wh whatever they're starting out doing, which is them being in the facility doing these tests, it has to kind of knock them out of their orbit, you know, yeah. into something completely different, and that's when you head into Act Two. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, yes. So I guess I should do a podcast on the inciting incident. <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny because you can see it when you read other books when right. you know the character gets new information when. You know, just, and it's, it's always kind of subtle because it happens so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but you can see it in other people's works. But for some reason, when I am writing my own, it's like, uh, did it happen? Like, please tell me <laughs> it happened because <laughs> I don't know if it did. And sometimes I worry about, is it happening too early? Is it happening too late? Um you know, are we meandering in this world before for way too long before anything actually happens or does enough happen? Did I put it in there and not notice it? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times we do, we're kind of natural storytellers. So mm -hmm. sometimes we do put it in and don't know it, you know? Yeah. I had people tell me that the first time I ever taught the, it was nine plot points back then. I had so many people come up to me and go, oh, I like, ran back to my hotel room so that I could see if I had them all. And then most of them did. They already had them. They just hadn't recognized them. I'm going, well, yeah, of course, because you're all storytellers. Like we kind of have yeah. an intuitive idea of what needs to go into it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I, I got myself into a mess when I tried to make four chapters into a whole book. <laughs> So I did that with Dragon Magic. I tried to make a 7,000 word story into this whole thing. That's why it's taken me so long to figure it all out. It's like, oh, okay, that's a problem. No, actually going back to read it though, there's a lot of things that I'd forgotten about that I put in the beginning that I need to like sort of follow up with. And that's a good thing because it'll, it'll help me fill out stuff later on. So I'm like, oh, oh yeah, huh. 
okay, so I need to, mm-hmm. I need to figure that out and, you know, stuff like that. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll all figure that out. I have chapter one ready to go for writer's group, so we'll see. Good. We'll see how it goes. Um, somehow I managed to get, you know, 3,300 words together to create a chapter, so. Nice. <laughs> I'll take it. Are you sending that this week? Yeah, I am just going over crutch words and <laughs> just throwing it at the wall to see what happens yeah. and go from there. But yeah, I'm going to play with this inciting incident. Um, So it's probably good. I mean, both characters need one. So I'll need to make sure I have one for Dax too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where is, he, you said, he, let's see, he said he's back at, I mean, maybe the inciting incident could be for him. Like I said, e- either something he realizes doing a surgery or maybe even the introduction of the serum, if you're doing the serum with him. Mm-hmm. Or, or are you going to do the serum with her instead? Um, Probably with her. Okay. And um, it's one that's already created. So um, I'm kind of using it as more of a turning point during act two. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, the other thing I was going to ask you about is what about Dax and Sean? I mean, where do they stand in all of this? Do you have a a brother (laughs) issue going on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of, I need to figure out their relationship because originally, I mean, I had, I didn't have Felix abduct Sean. So it was just Cameron, but then mm-hmm. I changed that. And I think it's stronger this way. But originally I had like Dax and Sean like at each other's throats while they're going through all of these things, trying to find Cam, trying to keep the people safe and everything. So now he and Cyan are butting heads the whole time. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I do need to bring that relationship back in and make it mean I feel like I'm floundering in some of the relationships I'm keep I keep getting other people lost they yeah keep going away so I need to bring them back in hmm. well Which, if you have if you have loose ends that you're not sure how to tie up then then go to those relationships and see if you can make them into subplots you know yes Yeah, I'm going to play with this. I have a lot to play with. <laughs> the first had only three characters. <laughs> well, four. It had four, but because it was still a character in book one. But And by play with, you mean bash your head against the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a note here. I wrote down something that Kella said. She was talking about little in-betweeny chapters. And I wrote that down. <laughs> Like only an author knows what little in between each chapter. Like. <laughs> Everyone else would be like, "What?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely need to play with. I've been so concerned about keeping like Ham and Sean 
a friendship and Dax and Cyan just a friendship and not mingle the waters because the romance author inside me wants to do weird things and I'm just not going to do that. So <laughs> this is not that book. <laughs> so I've been so focused on just building friendships and not any sort of romantic relationships between them and keeping it between Cameron and Dax because that's where it needs to happen because that's you know how um the climactic moment comes about and everything is them yeah. together right you could I mean you could friend zone all of them so that they're like talking to each other about the relationships mm -hmm. you know I think I'm going to do that I still remember my brother coming to me. It was like, I think it was before his mission. And he liked this girl who was in his ward. And he was like, so can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, if a girl talks to you about her boyfriend and is like kind of bashing him and telling you what she's frustrated with him about, does that mean she likes you? And I was going, that means you're kind of in the friend zone. <laughs> And he was like, definitely. <laughs> and you know, it's all right. I I think she kind of went off the deep end later and he's married to a wonderful woman now. So there we go. <laughs> it all worked out. Yeah. But I remember him saying that and just going, hate to break it to you, bud, but <laughs> I don't think so. You're friend zoned. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So I think I will be doing plenty of that there's plenty of time for communications like that so yeah yeah cool. i'm excited to see where it goes <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah i'm excited to get it figured out and i'm trying not to be scared to just draft and play around with things mm-hmm because a lot of times that's where, for me, a lot of things get figured out is when I just, when I have a direction and I just start drafting, then a lot of the other little things fall into place. Yeah. So. It did. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep going through your worksheets they are very helpful and I probably did too much in one day <laughs> so I might need to go through a couple of them again but I did four of them yesterday mm. and I had like 8,000 words between the four of them and I was like wow. I did a lot of talking and I'm not quite sure what I came up with so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all good yeah <laughs> but I mean it was it was good to just kind of think through some things because mm -hmm. some things did come to light so good. That's good. Yeah. And it's and sometimes it's, good to do it more than once because you'll discover different things and yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's so weird coming to this book after book two because I the original draft was pretty much all book two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had so much of it already figured out and coming to this one, it's like, oh, I have to figure things out. <laughs> Well, and weren't you the one that were saying that you were afraid of the ending or afraid of yes. endings? Yeah. I would, do you have, do you have a lot of series that you have read? I mean, that are finished? Yes. Okay. 
I would, I would do that. I would reread those because I had that issue. I don't even know what I was trying to finish. I mean, I was going to say it was probably Intercon, except I haven't actually finished Intercon, but I do know how it's going to finish. But yeah, because, because my, my series, that one, it, it's, when did he come out with the last book? I don't think I actually have the last book here. It started in 1990 and I didn't start reading it until 10 years later. I mean, I was in high school when I started reading these. Mm -hmm. I want to say it might've been 2013. The last one came out. This is just the jacket. So it doesn't actually have the date on it. Um, so yeah, anyway, the point is it was like a 25 year series and there's 14 books and it's just super epic. They're all that thick, you know, mm -hmm. Anderson type books. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to be able to figure out how to finish one of my series until I get the end of the series. Like I need to see, I need to see it finish. I don't even care how it finishes. I just need to see it finish, you know? Mm -hmm. And then he did. And it was a wonderful ending. It was better than I could have hoped for, honestly. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I felt okay finishing my series. So I think it helps to read and analyze how people have finished their series and, you know, really just think through it. Okay. How did they wrap up that character arc? Okay. How did they deal with this dilemma that was like going on throughout the entire series? You know, you could say that about Harry Potter yeah. too, how yeah. after all that buildup, you got to pay it off or you're going to just royally piss everyone off, you know? Right. Right, right, right. That's a good idea. I'll return to some of my favorite endings and mm -hmm. see what happens. I have one trilogy that I'm just waiting for the book on. So that'll be interesting to see. Read it with a more analytical eye. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think of one that I like really love the ending. I always love book two the most. Mm. And so I always kind of dwell on book two. Yeah. I'm that weird person who likes the middle <laughs> drama more so than how it wraps up. <laughs> no, there's been some books I really liked, book two. I can't say that of Wheel of Time because there were 14 books. So <laughs> it's like, well, book two wasn't really the middle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will do that. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about before we hop off? Um, I think, I think that's everything. I think I have plenty to think about. Okay. So, um, for the inciting incident, like, where do you recommend Like what percent of the way through do you recommend that goes in? I mean, it's really early on. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I've never really thought about it in terms of percentages. I would have... I would say within the first few chapters, at least. I mean, okay. if you could possibly get it into the first chapter, that would be best. But if you can't, okay. Um, I don't know. It also depends. The thing is, sometimes different things can be considered the inciting incidents. So, mm -hmm. for example, Wheel of Time, the really big inciting incident doesn't happen to like chapter eight or something. But this is mm -hmm. also a book that has 75 chapters. So percentage-wise, it's right. still pretty early on. Right. And in the first few chapters, we there are things that are happening that are interesting, that we're like, this is different. We're meeting something new. This is not 
status quo. You know what I mean? And those technically could be considered like an inciting incident. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It kind of depends on how you look at it. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better that you said the first chapter because I feel like sometimes I, I'm just ready to, you know, jump right in or it happens in the first chapter and I don't necessarily mean for it to Mm. and I worry about it being too early so okay all right I won't stress too much about it then yeah yeah no well and I mean really because I feel like a lot of times it happens at the end of the first chapter because yeah first chapter you're just kind of introducing the world and and kind of grounding them in the character and Mm -hmm. then once you've done that something happens you know that kind of kicks everything off Mm -hmm. yeah okay Cool. I think it's more dangerous to put it too late than to put it too early. Noted. Okay. Yeah, I know I worried about that with my first book too, but I was like, I don't know how else I can do this. Mm-hmm. And there was a long prologue too, so I didn't feel like it was too bad to put it at the end of chapter one, but <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that helps me feel better. Cool. All right. Well, I have plenty to work on, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah. Sure. I'm excited I, to see where this goes. Yeah, I am too. I was gonna say I need to I need to figure out how to structure my calls a little bit better. I feel like <laughs> we sit down and just kind of okay, how about this, how about that? And I need to come up with a better structure for them, but well, and I was all over the place <laughs> because I was like, all the things are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Said every writer ever. So <laughs> <laughs> no I I I told you the story about Tolkien and Lewis right did I tell you that I don't know so C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were buddies Mm -hmm. and helped each other with their writing like they were like literally in a writer's group together like ours Mm -hmm. and I heard this at um there was like a Tolkien expert at one of the I think it was LTUE which which we got LTUE in like February of 2020 like barely before the lockdowns happened it's like wow we were lucky to get that in you know <laughs> anyway they told the story about how Tolkien wrote the Hobbit first and then they wanted him to write something else and so he was trying to write Lord of the Rings which it's totally mm-hmm. wild to me that he wrote them in that order I would have thought Lord of the Rings would be first right but Same. um he was writing it and he couldn't get it off the ground he was having such a hard time with it and he had like the beginning part at the Shire And he had like up until Frodo had left the Shire and then he just had no idea what to do with it. And you know, that scene where they're under the tree hiding from the black rider originally Mm -hmm. that was Gandalf. He had Gandalf on the horse looking for them and it was different. And so he was talking to CS Lewis's buddy about this and was going, I, I I don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't know where I'm going. It's not exciting. I don't know what to do. And CS Lewis said, well, that's because you're putting, well, he said, you're not putting him in an exciting situation. He was going, well, what do you mean? And he goes, hobbits are only interesting. <laughs> like it's a really nice way of saying hobbits are super boring, but he goes, hobbits <laughs> are only interesting when they're put in very un-hobbit-like situations. You've got to put him in an un-hobbit-like situation. And that for some reason just like made the light bulb go off and he went, I got to go, I'll be back. And he like wrote feverishly for like a week, the entire thing start to finish. That's and he, amazing. And the first thing he said was, okay, well, if I don't want this to be Gandalf, what's the opposite of Gandalf? Black Rider. And that's how the Black Riders were born. Before that, he didn't even have any conception of the Black Riders. And hmm. so it's just kind of interesting to hear that he went yeah. through it too. And then he figured it out. 
So That's I don't know awesome. if that would be helpful, but maybe put Cameron in a very uncameron like situation. You know? Yeah. No, that's that's a really interesting idea. I'm going to think about it because what is an uncameron like situation? Well, it's it has to be anything that's outside her comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I was I was working with Gadrin today, so Gadrin hates everybody. He hates dragons. He hates people. So we're putting him in a situation where he has to bond in a really on a really intimate level with the strat, you know what I mean? That is like the worst thing that could possibly happen to him in his mind, even though most of us are going, oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> not for not for Gadrin. That's a very un-Gadrin like situation. Yeah. Hmm. So in I that sense, that's idea. kind of why you need to know your characters so well, because you're not mm -hmm. gonna know what that is for them unless you know what is it they do want, what is it they don't want, and then just basically throw a wrench in it, you know? Yeah. So okay. Okay. I, I, that's really actually amazing insight. <laughs> and having just like Landon and I literally just watched The Lord of the Rings. So it's like, I feel this. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. But it's going to come together. <laughs> it will. In the writing. Always it does. Mm -hmm. It does. Always does, as long as I don't give up. Right. And I don't intend to. <laughs> I don't understand people that can like stop writing for years and never finish their manuscript. That would drive me batty. Yeah. And I mean, I have several that I've never finished, but it's because they weren't going anywhere to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they just weren't the books that were supposed to be finished, but this is one that I cannot stop writing. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like people either. who write like 150 pages and then are like, oh, I put this in a drawer like 20 years ago. And it's like, what? Yeah. You didn't keep thinking about it because I still keep thinking about all those other. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sit around obsessing about old manuscripts. I don't think you're really a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Thanks so much for listening today. Before you go, would you be willing to do me a solid? If you found it any value at all in this episode today, would you be willing to share it with other authors just like you in the hopes that they might find some value in it as well? Happy story crafting this week. Remember, only you can bring the world the unique story that you are trying to tell. Only you can succeed in your own unique way in getting it out of your mind and your heart and into a medium where it can reach thousands if not millions of salivating readers. You don't have to worry about failure because there is always a market for awesome. <laughs>